AT&T is opening connected learning centers across the country, opening doors for students in need by giving them access to free high-speed internet, computers, and educational resources that can keep them learning. It's just part of our ongoing commitment to help more students stay connected. Because when students stay connected, they get closer to their dreams. To learn more, visit att.com slash connected learning. Thanks to you at home for joining us this hour. If you took a high school history class in the United States, you probably spent at least a day discussing this image. This is the iconic political cartoon of the caning of Senator Charles Sumner. In May of 1856, a pro-slavery congressman named Preston Brooks entered the Senate and he entered the chamber carrying a metal-tipped cane. And then he walked over to the anti-slavery senator, Charles Sumner. He beat Senator Sumner unconscious, and then he walked out without anyone stopping him. It is one of the most famous instances of political violence in our country's history by one member of Congress against another. But it wasn't unique. In the lead up to the Civil War, there were at least 70 instances of political violence by elected representatives against elected representatives. And what you might not have learned in history class is that the very same year that pro-slavery Congressman Preston Brooks beat anti-slavery Senator Charles Sumner on the Senate floor, in that same year, the House of Representatives was already in an unprecedented amount of disarray. The House was so violently divided over the issue of slavery that it could not elect a speaker. The normally ceremonial vote to pick a leader for the majority party in the House, a decision that typically takes one vote and a matter of minutes. In 1856, that decision took 133 rounds of votes, 133 rounds of votes over the course of two months. And when a Massachusetts congressman named Nathaniel Banks finally won that election for speaker, he did not sugarcoat his prospects or that of the legislature. In a speech on the House floor, Banks said, it would afford me far greater pleasure in taking the chair of the House were I supported even by the self-assurance that I could bring to the discharge of its duties, always arduous and delicate, and now environed with unusual difficulties, any, cap any capacity commensurate with their responsibility and dignity. In other words here, given how hard it was just to get this Congress to decide on who should lead it, the unusual difficulty of 133 separate votes to elect the speaker. Given all that chaos, Representative Banks did not have much faith that this Congress would get much of anything done. And now tonight, 167 years later, Republicans in the House of Representatives find themselves similarly unable to elect a speaker. The Republican frontrunner, Congressman Kevin McCarthy, has already had three failed votes just today the latest featuring 20 Republicans voting against him. As a reminder, McCarthy can only afford to lose four members of his own party. All of this is highly unusual. It almost never happens. This is almost a pro forma exercise in typical years. Failing to elect a speaker after one round of voting has happened only 14 times in our nation's history, and 13 of those times were before the Civil War. Those leadership elections were in a period of American history that was so violent and so divided that members of Congress literally fought each other. And needless to say, very little actual productive legislating got done after those, shall we say, unusual difficulties. 
Now, anything is possible here, but it seems incredibly unlikely that this leadership election is going to last anywhere, anywhere near as long as the one in 1856 did. I mean, for all of our sakes, let's hope it does not. But just the mere fact that Republicans can't decide on a leader is a massive omen for the kind of legislative session we have in front of us. If Republicans are in this kind of disarray on day one, imagine what happens when there's actual legislation to pass and they need to turn to the actual business of governing, when they need to come together as a majority party in the House and decide on actual things. Even if Kevin McCarthy is elected as speaker tomorrow, it will be in an incredibly weakened state. The far-right MAGA wing of the GOP has already proven that it's willing to sabotage its own party in a very public fashion to get its way. Forget legislation or a governing agenda. How do you even pass a budget with a Congress like this? The MAGA caucus has enough members to hold hostage any vote it wants, and today was proof that these representatives are willing to actually do just that. So what does this Republican breakdown mean for Congress going forward? Is it governable? Are we governable? Joining us now is Democratic Congresswoman from New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, thank you so much for being here on, well, a day that will go down in the history books. Thank you for having me. Let's just start with what it was like to bear witness to this Republican fracture firsthand on the floor of Congress. How, how did you leave the chamber today? You know, I was... Um I was honestly surprised. I did not think that Kevin McCarthy was going to have the votes in the first round, but I didn't think that it was going to be as catastrophic for him as it actually was. I think one of the things that we saw was, you know, we saw that there were reports of there being up to 20 holdouts on the Republican side, except Usually in the 24 to 48 hours before a vote, there are a lot of negotiations that happen. And Kevin McCarthy was engaging in some of those negotiations in order to bring that number down. Now, I didn't think he was going to have the vote at all, but uh, we at least thought that that number would be less. But to get into the high teens in, you know, nearly 18, 19 members uh, refusing to support his speakership is an astonishingly high number. And I think it very much speaks to the lack of faith uh, among elected Republicans that they have in Kevin McCarthy's speakership. And for him to have several months since the November elections and still not be able to clinch it, I think is very much a testament to a lack of leadership. Um, and it is very surprising to see that. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the contrast on the Democratic side, we didn't have a single defection. And that unity is very much going to help us um, in, you know, hopefully being able to uh, secure some uh, procedural wins and take advantage of certain moments. And I definitely want to return to that topic in terms of the democratic unity and the conversations that have been happening, happening inside the caucus. But it did not, uh, it did not go unnoticed, by, shall we say, on the internet and elsewhere that you were on the floor having some conversations with Republicans, including Matt Gates and Paul Gosar. Can you enlighten us at all as to, as to what those conversations were like? And is there any hope that you guys work together to get Hakeem Jeffries elected as Speaker of the House? You know, I um, I think in chaos, anything is possible, uh, especially in this era. You know, it is unlikely, but it is there is always a possibility. I do think that in terms of some of those conversations, I mean, listen, some of us in the House of Representatives uh, are 
independent in certain ways from our party. And I do believe that uh, in some of those conversations, um, there are things that are happening on the floor. These machinations are happening on the floor. And sometimes the leadership of your party, uh, in this case, the Republican Party, will be making claims uh, in order to try to twist arms and get people in line. And a lot of times, information and truth is currency. Um, so, Sometimes to be able to fact check some of the claims that McCarthy is making, uh, whether Democrats are going to defect or not, et cetera, is important in order to keep him honest and to keep people honest in general. And so, you know, I think what was important today was to send the message that we were united uh, behind uh, Hakeem Jeffries as um the now minority leader, uh, or as leader of the Democrats, and that there would be no defections, that Democrats are here, uh, we're not going anywhere. And if they want to play ball, we're open to that. That's that's going to make a lot of people, I think, on one side of the aisle very happy and a lot of people on the other side of the aisle very concerned. Is it your sense that there is a plan that the Freedom Caucus has? I mean, there's a real question about who's driving the who's who's running the operation here, who's driving the bus. Is it Kevin McCarthy or is it, you know, Andy Biggs and Paul Gosar and Matt Gates? Well, I think one of the central challenges here is that in this in Kevin McCarthy's speaker run, within the Republican caucus, there was no number two. Uh, the Republican caucus did not really have a full-throated race for speaker. There was no challenger uh, in the last two months that has emerged, and I do believe that that is the central Republican problem. Uh, whether McCarthy pulls this through or not, the core concern here is who would ascend to that seat. I do not believe that Kevin McCarthy has the votes. I believe that uh, a lot of the opposition to him is very personal. I believe his leadership style uh, is incompatible with a lot of Republican members and certainly the Democratic caucus. And so I think that is the central question. If not him, then who? Uh, you have certain members of the Freedom Caucus who have, of course, uh, nominated other people, but the rest of the Republican Party will not rally, I believe. They will not coalesce under Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan himself doesn't want it. They will not coalesce uh, under someone uh, like Andy Biggs. And so the question is, is there anyone in their caucus that can build that consensus? If there isn't, uh, McCarthy's team may have to come to the Democratic Party. And if that's the case, then what would that even look like? It's rather unprecedented. Could it result in a potential coalition government? Could we get Democratic chairs of committees uh, as a result? We don't know. Uh, but ultimately, it what we saw here today is that in the last two months and now, Kevin McCarthy failed to unite his caucus and failed to even, you know, I think he failed to respect the power of the Freedom Caucus uh, enough as well. They are members of his party in order to build that coalition together. He failed as a coalition builder not once, not twice, but three times. And we reconvene tomorrow morning. And I'm not quite sure what he could or would do that would change the calculus between today and tomorrow. And that's a huge question. We know that, that approximately 7,000 boxes of pizza were delivered to uh, McCarthy's office, which suggests it's going to be a long night of negotiating. You suggested that Democrats are open to any overtures from McCarthy's office. Have there been any? Can you are you at liberty to say whether there are even preempt, you know, preemptive conversations going on? Yeah, I think 
open <laughs> is a generous term. I'm not saying necessarily that uh, our party is signaling in, in openness just yet, but really it's about the cards that are in McCarthy's hands. And if he chooses to approach uh, the Democratic caucus, then that would be a negotiation in and of itself for a potential coalition government. Uh, but again, this is very much an unprecedented time. In your opening, you discussed what happened in 1855. The last time this happened was in 1923. And so we really have not seen many times in American history. And it is not a coincidence that they are times of division, times of extraordinary strife, disenfranchisement, and inequality. And I think that these are things that the Republican caucus is very much contending with. I also want to note that some of the requests made by these uh, made by these Republican holdouts are also small d democratic in nature in terms of the rules of the House. You know, over a very long period of time, the concentration of power in the House of Representatives has has concentrated to an extraordinary amount in party leadership of both parties. And what we see from the House Freedom Caucus is their attempt, however guided, misguided, destructive, constructive, whatever your perspective is, they are making attempts to reform the rules of the House in a way that would dilute McCarthy or the Speaker's power and elevate the power of every—of of individual members in the House. And that, I think, is a, an essential crux that is— part of, of the rub here in their inability to create an agreement. So, you know, if McCarthy really wants this, he really needs to look at how he can get to the 218 that he needs. And you got to find that math somewhere. If you can't get that vo those votes from the House Freedom Caucus, and he has provided many, many, many concessions, um, and it's just not working out. I, I, I got to ask you, um, you know, getting concessions from leadership can be done in many ways. And the House Republican Freedom Caucus has chosen a pretty public and fractious way to gain concessions. What happened on the Democratic side of the aisle in terms of this unbelievable unity in a very big tent party? I mean, what was the conversation like between parts of the Democratic Party that are much further left, much more progressive than some of the more centrist leadership, and in particular, Hakeem Jeffries, the, the, the new leader? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think there are a couple of things that are that are happening right now. One is that in order for us to take advantage of the fracturing on the Republican side, we have to operate as a full entire block. This margin is extraordinarily slim. We're talking about a margin of four votes. And so if they get to a point where they lose four or five votes and we stay 100 percent united, then there are possibilities where if it's not this vote, it could be other votes. There are procedural moments in the House where you can prevent, in their case, catastrophic legislation from coming to the floor if we remain united. I think some of these conversations coming forward is an acknowledgement of the severity of this point in history. Uh, we are talking about a very real danger in a Republican-controlled House. And that could mean that a very narrow, slim margin of four to five votes could have implications on whether we can raise a debt ceiling. It could have implications even on the 2024 election. And in, you know, January 6th was all about the refusal to certify 
every state's election results. And it is no secret that Republicans have indicated that there are several who are willing to do it again. They are willing to reject certification of a presidential election if they do not like the results. And I believe that on the Democratic side, the acknowledgement of how fragile our democracy is in this moment is a critical part to that unity. We absolutely have differences. Um, but I think a willingness to put that aside in order to figure out how we can navigate and exploit some of these major moments to advance really the issues of working people, raise wages, protect health care, and really defend a lot of the gains that we have made in the last two to three years is going to be very critical. Yeah, it's it's so important to underscore the fact that the last time this happened beyond 1923 was the eve of the Civil War. And it really does feel like an inflection point in terms of major, major social issues, race, identity, the whole lot. Um, no one knows what's going to happen. We are so deeply grateful for your time, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of course, from the great state of New York. Thank you for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you very much. And we will have much more on this history-making first day of Congress coming up, including signs that this long day's journey is stretching into a very long night. That's the giant pizza delivery going to Kevin McCarthy's office. Plus, a look at what McCarthy has already given up to get that gavel, even as hardliners in his conference want that much more. All that's ahead. Stay with us. True or false? Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. AT&T is opening connected learning centers across the country. Opening doors for students in need by giving them access to free high-speed internet, computers, and educational resources that can keep them learning. It's just part of our ongoing commitment to help more students stay connected. Because when students stay connected, they get closer to their dreams. To learn more, visit att.com slash connected learning. What a day it has been for the almost 118th Congress, and a long day at that. Day one has not gone as planned for the Republican caucus, because for the first time in 100 years, as you know very well by now, the current Congress failed to elect a speaker on the first ballot, or the second, or the third. After several hours and three failed rounds of votes, the de facto leader of House Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, failed to get the 218 votes needed for the speakership after facing increasing defections from hardliners in his party. And while the narrowly Republican-controlled Congress has adjourned for the day, not everyone has gone home. NBC reporter Haley Talbot captured this video tonight of boxes and boxes and boxes of pizza being wheeled into Representative McCarthy's office. As Haley notes quite aptly, pizza at this hour is never a good sign for Congress. It is going to be a late night. Joining us now are former RNC chair Michael Steele and Mark Leibovich, staff writer at The Atlantic and author of Thank You for Your Servitude, Donald Trump's Washington and the Price of Submission. Um, chairman, what's happening here and what is going to happen? Does Kevin McCarthy still stand a chance? I mean, how do you read the tea leaves on this? 
Yeah, you you always stand a chance until you don't. I mean that that's 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 how it works in Washington. I mean seriously, that it sounds crazy, but that's true. If he thinks he's in the game, he's going to work the angles, which is what that pizza represents. Now, you know, is he having a conversation with senior leadership? Yes. Is he meeting with key uh, allies? Absolutely. Is he talking with those um, 20 members uh, who are against him? Uh, he's trying his best. But the question boils down to this. What more can you offer that you haven't already offered that they're going to be willing to accept that will not lose you part of the 203 votes you already have? Because that's the other side of this equation. You have 203 votes. So you you would think you'd have some negotiating leverage within the caucus itself, using other caucus members to bring that pressure to bear on the 20. But it speaks to something that I, I learned very early in my tenure at the RNC with the emergence of the, of the uh, Tea Party is that for them and for a lot of a lot of the remnants, what's left inside the Freedom Caucus, Jim Jordan was part of that original class, um, is this as a two is a two-pronged approach. One is respect, right? Because they don't ever feel that they've been respected in the process by the process. And two, leverage. They've never really had leverage going into these into these uh, efforts as we've seen the two times before with Boehner and and um, Ryan, now they've got both. They've gotten the they've gotten the attention of the establishment, right? They've built the respect with the base, right? Um, there aren't base voters out there screaming for them not to do what they're doing right now. No one's asked. No one's talking about that. There's, you don't hear the base rising and say, "Can you guys just really give Kevin the man the 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 gavel?" That's not happening. All right. That's one. And the second piece is they've got the leverage now to extract more pounds of flesh that I just don't see Kevin has on his hide at the moment. Yeah. I, short of giving them his firstborn. And I'm not I don't actually know if Kevin McCarthy has children. But Mark Leibovich, part of the reason that they've been able to extract this much leverage is because there is a vacuum in terms of leadership inside the Republican Party. I mean, there are no Republican heavies at the moment that can move people, that can really whip in the way that you need to, at least it seems. And I mean, look no further than Donald Trump, who endorsed Kevin McCarthy and today is telling NBC News, I got to call. I got everybody calling me wanting my support, but let's see what happens. And we'll, I got everybody calling, wanting my support. That's all I can say, but we'll see what happens. We'll see how it all works out. I mean, he endorsed the dude who is the number one seed for this and is now walking it back because... McCarthy's weakness is effectively Trump's weakness. I mean, who, where is the center of gravity in the Republican Party right now, in your opinion? I think it's with that pizza. I mean, I think <laughs> you asked the question, yes. you know, what does Kevin McCarthy have for, for people at this point to give? He has pizza. Um, no, I mean, what, what you're seeing here is a, a party with no center of gravity. It is a party of chaos agents. And um, one of the things that struck me in, in watching the interview with, with Representative Ocasio-Cortez before was the mischief she seems to be enjoying, you know, in, in her conversations with Matt Gates and Paul Gosar. And there's sort of mutually assured mischief. I mean, everyone sort of knows that 
that, you know, they're all kind of torturing Paul, um, uh, Kevin McCarthy in their own sort of way. And, and, and look, I mean, this is what happens when you have no leadership in what is a very slim majority party. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Donald Trump himself now is not whipping up chaos because he's enjoying it, because he loves a spectacle like this and because he feels it elevates him. And in some ways, you know, he can look like he was supportive of Kevin McCarthy. But on the other hand, I, I think that you know, the vacuum in the house only helps him, he probably thinks. And, um, you know, I think instead of, you know, while Republicans might be wheeling pizza into Kevin McCarthy's office, I think the Democrats should wheel like a big vat of popcorn onto the floor tomorrow because they just seem to be enjoying this so much. I mean, it must be pretty incredible pizza if that's what he's bringing out at this hour. Michael Steele, I think Mark Leibovich is right as a man who constantly has mischief in his <laughs> on the horizon. Yes, mm -hmm. It did yes, seem like... Does. It did, did seem like the, uh, AOC w was kind of entertaining this idea of a coalition government and uh, giving, I think, some credence to the the the, the criticisms of, of the Freedom Caucus insofar as they feel like power is too concentrated at the top of, of the Republican conference. If well, you're in a leadership position, are you talking to Democrats right now if you're Kevin McCarthy? No. There's no upside for Kevin McCarthy having a conversation with Democrats. What's what's Hakeem going to say to him? What's he going to say to Hakeem? Lend me 18 votes. I mean, how does that work? If this is not no, and I get a lot of the noise that you heard today. Folks talking about coalition governments and you know the Democrats helping out the Republican Democrats. Get your popcorn, baby. Like Mark said, sit back, put your feet up on the desk. And look across the aisle and smile, because that's all you need to do here. They'll work it out. Eventually, they'll work it out. But the reality for Kevin, Kevin, he has two choices at this point. Push this thing to the point where he starts to piss off everybody, right? Or two, take his name out of the pot. Mm. And that's what the pizza's about tonight. That's what the pizza's about. And, and so the reality, the reality for him is very stark. It's very real. Any other conversation is just Washington, you know, mid, you know, midwinter fun uh, at Kevin's expense, because there's no political upside for Democrats to extend an olive branch to create a coalition government with him. And there's no political upside for Kevin McCarthy to seek their help to give him this position. And there is no political upside for any other person who becomes speaker who tries to craft a deal that that, that sort of usurps the process the way it's playing out right now. In other words, those 218 votes are going to come from 222 Republicans, hmm. not Democrats. It does bear mentioning, though, Mark, how far we have come from the cover of the Young Guns book, which featured Eric Hanner, Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy, who were. Yeah, there it is. The new generation of conservative leaders and just how weakened that kind of conservative leadership has gotten. And I need not remind you that Eric Kanner was dismissed by Dave Bratt in 2010. Paul Ryan re retired in 2018, and here's Kevin McCarthy having a terrible, no good, horrible, very bad day. I mean, the implications for the GOP writ large in the moment like this, I mean, what's your expectation about what happens after they actually pick a speaker? Can they govern? Oh. <clears throat> no, I don't think so at all. I mean, I think, you know, part of, part of the issue is that the Democrats, in a way, have an ideal scenario here. I mean, you know, obviously they would prefer to still have the majority, still have the speakership, but... 
um, you know, they have the White House, they have the Senate, and they they have a completely dysfunctional opposition, you know, at a time when it, it seems, I mean, if you're Hakeem Jeffries, it seems almost fun to be in the minority because, you know, you, you have, you know, you're, you're the foil to the other side. But also, you know, there, there's a lot of the tension that was sort of built up around the Pelosi leadership over many, many years is probably released to some degree. And I think a lot of the old sort of generational thing. Um, you know, release has probably been at hand lately. So, look, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it, it is really, in some ways, this is all very predictable, right? I mean, the the Republican Party, just in giving itself to Trump, has basically, you know, reduced any sort of hint of a spine or any kind of governing underpinning at all. And this is what happens when you just have no organizing principle at all, no ideological principle at all. And I mean, who knows? But I think, you know, maybe they'll figure it out, but maybe not. This could go on for weeks. So, oh. uh, you know, we'll see. That's a, that's a lot of pizza. You know, you're in a quite a place when all you got to offer is pizza. Former RNC yeah. chair Michael Steele and Mark Leibovich, two greats. Thank you both for joining me tonight, friends. Thanks, Al. We have a lot more to come tonight. The 118th Congress is not yet in session, but House Democrats have something to celebrate on their side of the aisle this evening. Stick around to find out what it is. But first, as House leader, Republican Kevin McCarthy plays Let's Make a Deal to shore up more votes for Speaker. What has he already given up to appease the fringes of his caucus? We'll bring you those details coming up next. True or false? Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. AT&T is opening connected learning centers across the country. Opening doors for students in need by giving them access to free high-speed internet, computers, and educational resources that can keep them learning. It's just part of our ongoing commitment to help more students stay connected. Because when students stay connected, they get closer to their dreams. To learn more, visit att.com slash connected learning. After three failed votes, Congress has adjourned until tomorrow, and Republican leader Kevin McCarthy's bid for Speaker of the House is in peril. Heading into today's vote, or votes, as it turned out, there had been a lot of speculation about whether McCarthy would give in to demands by House conservatives to adopt new rules for governing the House. Since McCarthy hasn't actually won anything at this point, this all remains TBD. But what has already happened and gotten far less attention are the new House rules that McCarthy has already agreed to, rules that will go into effect if and when Republicans actually settle on a speaker. And those new rules include dismantling the January 6th committee and replacing it with a new committee to investigate the weaponization of the federal government. The new rules would gut the Office of Congressional Ethics, which is a key watchdog group that oversees members of Congress. Two years after an armed mob stormed the Capitol, House Republicans' new rules would remove magnetometers that are used to scan for dangerous weapons when entering the House floor. They would end the right of congressional workers to unionize and would remove the word labor from the House Education and Labor Committee. 
And they would allow members to introduce amendments that cut funding for specific federal workers and federal programs down to just one dollar, a provision some people believe is meant to appease Republicans who want to defund the FBI. So conservatives managed to get all that from Kevin McCarthy, and it was still not enough. Joining us now is Jake Sherman, founder of Punchbowl News and an MSNBC contributor. Jake, you are our eyes and ears on the, the hill here. What do you know is happening behind closed doors right now? And what is the speculation about McCarthy's chances tomorrow when there's another set of votes? So, Alex, these are very tired eyes and ears at this moment, but um, they are uh, Kevin McCarthy has basically dispatched some emissaries to try to figure out if and what deal if there is a deal possible and what that possible deal might look like to get people on board. Um, Here's the way McCarthy sees it. There are 200 people, 202 people who have voted for him for speaker. That is 90 percent of House Republicans. He does not feel like he needs to cave in to the 10 percent of House Republicans who are not supporting him. So unfortunately for McCarthy, the game is not winning 90 percent of the House Republican conference or the House of, you know, he needs 218 votes. He doesn't need 203 votes. So he's going to try to spend the next day or so working to see if it's possible to turn some of those no votes to yes votes for him or to present votes. So if you vote present on the House floor, you are able to uh, lower, basically lower the number of uh, uh, total votes cast in the contest. So then thereby lowering the total you need to become speaker. So a lot of horse trading going on. The House is going to come in at noon tomorrow to try to take another round at this. If they don't have any progress to show, I would imagine they try to adjourn once again. I, I don't think McCarthy can um, afford, quite frankly, another 20 person uh, uh, dissent on the House floor. Well, OK, so you're saying McCarthy, because he has the votes that he does have, not insignificant, 90 percent of the caucus, doesn't feel like he needs right. to cave. But then what's he offering if there's horse trading going on? Like what what is his trade if he doesn't feel like he needs to cave? I mean, he's already given up so much and feels like he's in a position of semi strength. So what's the conversation? There are some things that he has not given up, and these are very inside baseball things. Basically, basically the right wants more seats on the steering committee. The steering committee helps select uh, members of standing committees, so the committees that populate the House, appropriations, armed services, things of that nature. Conservatives want more representation on those panels. That is something that they're trying to get. That is something that there is being socialized across the House Republican Conference. There's demands for certain votes and certain procedures in the House. So there are still things to be horse traded. Now, keep in mind, Alex, there is a um, McCarthy's given up a lot. He's basically given conservatives all these concessions so far, which leads everybody in the House and close House watchers like myself uh, reason to believe that there's actually nothing that the conservatives want besides McCarthy not being speaker. Like they keep saying this isn't personal. This is personal. These people who are voting against McCarthy time and time again, by and large, don't like McCarthy. I'm not saying that because I'm guessing. I'm saying that because I know these people and I've watched them for the past 13 or so years, and I know they have issues with McCarthy. So again, this is personal. A lot of these people are not flippable. Matt Gates, 
not going to vote for Kevin McCarthy almost under any circumstance. So it's just a very complicated, it's a very complicated dynamic right now. And I, I personally don't know if he could turn it around. I think he could. I'm not sure that he will. I'm not sure he has that ability at this point to turn it around. Do you think that, I mean, how, there is no, there is no house. The house has no members. The the work of Congress needs to get done at some point. I mean, the longer this goes on, the, the more weakened McCarthy is or the stronger he is. What's your assessment? He will be probably, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've put a decent amount of thought into this. He will be one of the weaker speakers going into the speakership just by dint of having this happen. I mean, this is the multiple ballots for the speakership hasn't happened in 110 years. So by dint of that, he is a, uh, a relatively weak speaker should he get there. Now, all of that said, um, Maybe there is a case to be made, made that he he is strengthened, and I think I, I don't. I'm not making that case, but some people are. On top of that, the House is a vastly different institution than it was even 10, 15 years ago. I mean, it is a complete war zone. It has been a partisan war zone since the early 2010s, since the the later part of the of the Obama administration, or the early part of the Obama administration, rather. So. Um, it's just it's tough to judge in a historical context how weak he will be. But listen, I, if he wins, there's going to be a mechanism to remove him. That's for sure. That's yeah. something that conservatives have have won. So, uh, you know, will he last the entire Congress if he gets there? I don't know. I think that's a that's a point of debate. And that's a, something that a lot of people in the House are talking about. And then we get to do this all over again. Rinse, repeat. Jake Sherman, founder of Punchbowl News. I'm glad you're at home right now, Jake, because we know you're going to be spending a lot of time on the hill over the next couple of days. Thanks for your time, my friend. Thanks. We'll be right back. Madam Clerk, I rise today at the direction of the House Democratic Caucus to place into nomination for election to the position of Speaker of the House of Representatives, the pride of Brooklyn, Hakeem Jeffries of New York. Caraveo. Jeffries. Carbajal. Jeffries. Cardenas. The first speaker of color of the House of Representatives, Hakeem Jeffries. Jeffries. That is how it went today on the House floor, well, at least on one side of the aisle. 212 votes for Hakeem Jeffries to become the next speaker of the House. Every single Democrat in the 118th Congress picked Jeffries as speaker just a month after they elected Jeffries to lead their caucus. The last time a Democratic leader won the support of every single member of the caucus was in 2007, when Nancy Pelosi became the first woman speaker of the House. And today, the entire caucus coalesced behind its first black leader, earning him more votes than Kevin McCarthy, the man for whom becoming this next speaker is still very much a long shot. But Jeffries is the one who so far has come the closest to reaching the simple majority needed to win. The congressman has served five terms representing sections of Queens and Brooklyn, his hometown. He sits on the House Judiciary Committee and the Budget Committee. But he's perhaps best remembered for his work as one of the impeachment managers Speaker Pelosi handpicked to handle Donald Trump's first impeachment. As usual, Pelosi's calculus was on the nose. Jeffries and his peers succeeded in impeaching Trump, though the Senate did not convict him. 
during that trial, Jeffries cemented his reputation as a sort of messaging guru in the caucus. And he is the political leader the Democrats are all rallying around as the Republican caucus splits at the seams. Outgoing Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, the woman who expertly led her increasingly diverse caucus for years, she was there today, standing next to her successor for a moment that will be enshrined in history for, well, a lot of reasons. Joining us now is Colorado Congressman Jonah Goose, who was elected to the number five role in leadership and will head up the communications arm for the House Democrats in the new Congress. Congressman, thank you for joining us. Uh, I think a lot of Democrats feel like the job of communication was pretty easy today, given the actual implosion happening on the other side of the aisle. But I got to ask, given the and just a phenomenal amount of unity within the House Democratic Caucus, what is your expectation for how Democrats can use that unity to make any kind of legislative difference in the next Congress when they're in the minority? Well, good evening, Alex. It's good to be with you. I think you articulated well the historic unity that was on full display uh, in the House Democratic Caucus under the strong leadership of our colleague uh, and our leader, uh, Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries. The House Democratic Caucus is unified, united, and focused on delivering results for the American people. And I could think of no clearer juxtaposition uh, than the chaos that was on full display in the Republican Caucus today, given today's unprecedented and historic proceedings, which you've described so well. I think it's important for your viewers to just consider again the unprecedented nature of today's proceedings and the reality that because of the Republican dysfunction, for the first time in over 100 years, the House literally was not organized on the first day of the session of Congress. I think that's a, a sad day for the American public. I think it's a sad day for the House of Representatives as an institution. Ultimately, House Democrats are ready to govern. We are prepared to govern, but we need a partner to do so. And unfortunately, it's clear the Republican Party is disinclined and incapable of governing. Uh, any American who watched today's proceedings uh, would reach the same conclusion. So look, we're, we're going to continue to try to find ways to forge consensus. Of course, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Uh, I suspect it's going to be a few interesting days ahead. I mean, that, that unity is born not just um, as a study of in contrast, right? It's not just to show Republicans what a functioning party looks like. It's also leverage. If you can keep the Democratic caucus together with 212 votes, there's a chance you peel away some moderate Republicans and can actually get something done. Is that a case that um, Congressman Leader Jeffries has made to the caucus in terms of staying together through the coming days and weeks? I certainly think so. I certainly agree. Uh, look, I think that the unity is born from the talent of the leadership team, of course, led by Leader Jeffries, but it's also born from the shared values that we have as Democrats, which ultimately are shared by the American people, the priorities that we have pursued for the better part of the last four years since I was first sworn into the Congress, better paying jobs, lower costs for working families, building safer communities, defending democracy. These are priorities that are shared by and large by the vast majority of the American people. It's what unites us as a caucus. It is why we outperformed uh, the historic norms in the last midterm election. It's why I believe that the Republican majority uh, will be a temporary one. And uh, so, I, I look, I, I think we're more unified than ever, and we are prepared to do the work and to work on behalf of the American people. Uh, I'd like to think that the Republicans uh, would be able to get their affairs in order so that we can get to doing the work that the American public expects us to do. Yeah, and I think Claire McCaskill called this day like Christmas for Democrats, um, given, you know, again, the show of force, the absolute chaos on the other side of the aisle. But there is the reality that they, you know, Republicans are going to take over the majority in the House. Presumably, they will actually elect a speaker. And then we have to all sit there and watch as they try and figure out how to govern. 
I imagine that there's a certain amount of sadness in Democratic hearts today as well, given the reality of what's ahead of us. I mean, how do, how have you been thinking about both the highs of what you've accomplished as a Democrat and the lows of what's happening as someone who's presumably interested in governance? Yeah, look, Alex, I think there's a heavy dose of sadness and of disappointment, but not just uh, in terms of how Democrats perceive today's proceedings, the American public. I mean, you think about, again, this institution uh, and the Congress uh, as an institution, you know, the sort of democracy uh, writ at large, and the notion that the Republican dysfunction and chaos and crisis has engulfed this institution in the way that it has over the course of the last 24 hours clearly is a worrying sign, a dispiriting sign, I think, uh, for our republic. And so I, I certainly, as I said, I, Democrats are united in trying to get things done for the American people. We want to govern. We are prepared to govern, as we have done uh, in the past. And I am just hopeful that uh, the Republicans uh, will ultimately learn to do the same. But unfortunately, it doesn't appear as though that's going to be in the cards in the 118th Congress. Colorado Congressman Jonah Goose, thank you for your time tonight. Good luck out there tomorrow. We'll be right back. That does it for us tonight. I'll see you again tomorrow. AT&T is opening connected learning centers across the country, opening doors for students in need by giving them access to free high-speed internet, computers, and educational resources that can keep them learning. It's just part of our ongoing commitment to help more students stay connected. Because when students stay connected, they get closer to their dreams. To learn more, visit att.com slash connected learning.